Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. My guest for today is Josh Manuel. He is the drummer for a band called Issues. If you are listening to this, you probably already know who Issues is, but just in case you don't, they're one of my favorite bands in the last 10 years or so. I like to call them jazz, like D-J-A-Z-Z, gent plus jazz, because that's kind of what they are. They're like progressive metalcore with a whole lot of like funk and jazz and R&B in there. Really unique. I don't think there's anybody else doing what they are doing. In addition to being one of my favorite bands, they're also some of my favorite humans in music. These are just really cool, super talented, humble guys. They're all awesome, but the reason I wanted to talk to Josh is because he has done what I think a lot of people that talk to me want to do. He's taken himself from just a kid who lived in the suburbs with his parents and was pretty good at playing drums, but kind of didn't know exactly how to turn that into his job, to now being a professional drummer. He's been in issues since I think 2012, maybe 2013 touring, putting out albums, like just doing the thing as a professional drummer. But there's a lot of things that we talk about in this episode that are going to apply to anybody who wants to market themselves as a creative professional. Not just drummers, like whether you're a graphic designer or uh, you make websites or a photographer or you know any other kind of service that you want to market to the world. A ton of great stuff that you can take from this conversation and apply to what you're trying to do. So I hope you enjoy it. Check it out. If you like what Josh has to say, you can check him out on Instagram at Josh Manuel, M-A-N-U-E-L. And definitely check out issues if you haven't. And yeah, let's get into it. Hello, everybody. I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA podcast. And today my guest is Josh Manuel from Issues. So uh, you guys just rolled into town here. I kidnapped you right off the bus and uh, just kind of wanted to sit down with you and talk about getting noticed as a musician. Uh, like I was just talking about, I hear from a lot of people for some reason, feel like it's a lot of drummers that are kind of wondering like, man, I've spent all this time getting good at what I do, but now I'm realizing that's not enough. Like, what do I do to actually stand out and get noticed and somehow turn this into a job? So you have done that. And I uh, thought I'd pick your brain about how you did it and how other people might be able to do it. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. I think like from an early age, like I grew up playing in church um, and I still play at church when I'm home and it kind of like growing up in that environment where uh, a lot of my friends that, you know, I grew up playing with ended up doing like the Nashville thing. So I'm from Atlanta. Nashville thing meaning like session for country stuff? Yeah, either like the pop world or country Um, and basically, you know, they play for an artist. And so honestly, that's kind of where I thought I would land and like somehow I ended up playing for issues so be like you know you join the finn mckenty band and on tour as an employee exactly got it and so like i guess that's what i like kind of thought i would end up doing and then like you know i'm obviously super happy with issues but i feel like i kind of ended up slightly i guess on the other side of the fence which is cool um but i kind of feel like i have like perspective on both worlds or whatever just from like my friends and stuff but anyway they basically from a young age like you know i always looked up to them and they kind of instilled like that you can't just be good at drums, right? Like you have to be like multifaceted and you have to like, 
you know, basically think like you're essentially a business more or less. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, the more things that you're good at, as far as like, like I went to college for film um, and, you know, I did a bunch oh, of, that I makes sense. did a bunch of YouTube stuff. Um, and like, I mean, that's how I got the gig with issues was like, yeah, t talk about that. I, I, I kind of know that story, but not exactly. What, what, what is that? Tell, tell us about that. Basically. So it was like 2013. Um, me and a buddy, Brian Meadows had been doing like, we were in college and we had been doing like the home studio thing um, where, you know, we're just any and every artist because we, you know, between Atlanta and Nashville, there's so many different artists. Um, and it was really good for me as a drummer because like, you know, most of these projects that would come through, it would be, it could be hip hop, it could be country, it could be pop, it could be like singer songwriter stuff. And I would like play on all that. And so like, you know, sometimes it was like really challenging to, or just a genre that I wasn't familiar with or whatever. So it really pushed me from like an early age, I guess. But we ended up doing the issues, like some of the issues uh, acoustic record. And because um, issues didn't have a drummer at first, really, Ty just programmed all the drums. Yeah. On EP. Well, there was a there was a guy named Case um, who is like my good friend now. But yeah, Ty at the time had programmed the drums, and then for whatever reason, Case and issues like didn't really work out, and they ended up like seeing a video I did, <laughs> which admittedly I covered King. And I was just trying to get some views because uh -huh. um, I knew there's like the issue song. Yeah, 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 King of Amarillo. And I just, you know, I was just trying to get some views. I knew there was a lot of controversy around the song, right, like right, the What right. Was Me thing. And we ended up working together because I was shooting some of Tyler's like video stuff. Did you know Tyler from like the Atlanta scene? Kind of. Like we had played. Um, we grew up in the same like scene and played like local band shows. What's like the one? There's like a suburb town of Atlanta that everyone. What is it? It's Loganville. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the the venue is called the Movement, and it was legendary. It was like this church, and it was like four or five hundred cap, and it would sell out. Like Attila would play it before, like you know they started touring nationally, and you know they'd sell out four or five hundred tickets. Like you know it, this little church venue, and it was right. it was awesome, man. Those like little local scenes like that. Like I lived in Columbus. <laughs> for a while and like the basement in Columbus was like that. Those like little locals, which is where Attack Attack and all those bands kind of came up. Yep. It's so cool when there's a little local scene like that. They usually only last a couple years, but just there's these little explosions where tons and tons of like super creative, cool people come up at the same time and end up making waves at like the national level and, yep. and then they go away. But it's so cool when you get to be there and see it. Yeah, Loganville is weird because it really is a very small town, uh, but like it had, you know, the heavy scene, um, and then it had a really good country scene, too. Like, I went to high school with Tyler Hubbard from Florida Georgia Line. And so I went to a very small school, and it's just weird that he graduated from the same high school. And then You ever ask him to borrow money? <laughs> uh, not yet. Okay. Well, if you ever need to, you know, he's probably got plenty to spare. He, yeah, he's doing all right. <laughs> and then also John Langston uh, was, like, a buddy of mine. So it's just, it, it really is a very weird little small town like a hotbed of talent mm -hmm. um, and not just like heavy scene stuff uh, you know like just kinda, like across the board how do you end up doing video stuff for tyler uh basically just a mutual friend like tyler because i was trying to get better at video because i figured you know again like i if i want to do the drumming thing i need to be multifaceted mm -hmm. whatever and be good at multiple things because obviously if you're into youtube you need to be able to do video yada yada uh and so i was like sure like i'll do it whatever and a mutual friend kind of linked us together um, and then I started shooting videos, and then he came through the studio. We kind of did more acoustic stuff for the record at the time. They saw the King cover, and they were just like, whoa, this is cool, whatever. We kind of jammed together, and like we immediately, like on a personal level, like we all got along really well. So it kind of just made sense. Um, and then eventually, like you know, time went on, they asked me to join, and I was like, 
I don't like I, I love heavy music but like yeah. I definitely have, have never been like the guy that has like insane like double bass chops right. or anything and I mean this issue stuff you know I'm guessing most people listening to this have heard the band but if you haven't that shit's not easy to play it's not yeah it, some of some of the riff AJ, riffs AJ writes are uh, very very intricate. yeah really like odd accents and stuff for sure um, so at the time it was just like okay if I do this this is really gonna be a challenge um, which is appealing to me uh, and like the guy we actually just met in there, Chris Miller, um, is like my best friend. He at the time, um, you know, neither one of us were like touring nationally or whatever, but he had had way more experience, like experience touring and doing all that. So he was just like, dude, if you don't take this gig, it's literally just because you're scared. Like that's the only reason. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Like, yeah, you gotta say I can't do it. Never mind. Yeah, literally. Okay. Um, you should try it. Yeah, exactly. So that's I guess you know the short version of how we got here, and now we're what seven years into this. So yeah. So you were doing drum stuff on YouTube from like what 2009 or something mm-hmm. like that. So you were there like pretty early. Yeah, I think so. Back um, when when there weren't nine billion drum covers of every song you can imagine. <laughs> Talk about like what gave you the idea to try that. Well, again, Loganville uh, being a, a very small town, it, there were a lot of musicians, but I didn't ever really land in a in a band where I felt like. Um, there were like like-minded people as far as um not just music but just like as far as goals and like how i mean the only thing i've ever cared about is this is music and drums and like i'm kind of that guy that it's hard for me to like like i was never really passionate about school just and i kind of wish i was like i tell my little brother all the time like no it it does matter (laughs) uh but can't um, you you are though yeah exactly and that's that's just kind of how it's always been so i don't know I, i never really felt like i had an option but i just knew that if i wanted to do it uh, again, like, you know, I was raised by a bunch of guys who were kind of like hired guns, uh, more or less. And I just knew that having the attitude of like, if I'm not practicing or if I'm not getting better, there's definitely someone else who is and will eventually surpass me and take my gig probably. So I guess that's kind of always been my like outlook on it. It's interesting because the way you talk about that is like, that's kind of how I hear a lot of the uh, people who are in the Nashville kind of scene think about it as a job you know, of course it is creative and it is art and all that stuff, but that's a big difference from how I hear the Nashville guys think about it. It's like, this is a job. I need to be good at it. It's competitive. Mm -hmm. Like, I've got to beat other people who want the same job as me. And that's very different from how you hear, like, rock people talk about it. Yeah, I think so. And, well, just the reality of being, like, a hired gun, you know, okay, say you... you I think some people don't understand how fucking good all these people in Nashville are. Yeah, they're they're very good. (laughs) (laughs) Real good. Um, Which is good, because from a young age, you know, I think the bar, or at least in my little... my head, the bar was just set really high, just from my friends, which I'm lucky to be, you know, to have something to compare, you know, myself to or whatever. But, you know, the bar was just set really high, so I... And and I think, realistically, if you play for, um, like, the guy that... You know, you look back in your life and you have people who, like, that, you know, that piece of advice, like, really changed, whatever. Um, like, one of the guys that, like, literally taught me how to hit a snare drum, which is, like, half the gig. Mm-hmm. You know, if your hands sound good and you can just play, then you're pretty good. You know, you're, you, that's, good that's half of it, yeah. yeah. But he plays for uh, Marin Morris now. The thing is, like, playing for an artist, I think, uh, you know, if you're in a band, like, Issues is a four-piece. Um, I think with our band, each person, you know, we all write and each person is very, like, you can hear everyone's influence, all four of us in, in the music. But if you play for an artist, there's a lot of people that are really good and play for artists. So like, you know, Marin Morris's fans or whoever's fans, uh, any pop artist, country artist, whatever, like if she were to get a new 
guitarist or a new drummer. Don't give a shit who's playing guitar <laughs> on this tour. No, of course not. Yeah. Um, and so it's just it's just a different world. And so it is realistically it is more competitive, and um, there are people that want your gig. Yep. So a thing that I I think is interesting to pick up from this is like a just that you recognize the need to put yourself out there and make people aware that you exist because. For sure. Doesn't matter how good you are if nobody knows you're out there, nobody knows who you are. Like, I think a big part of this in any creative field is just being top of mind. In other words, like when someone goes, Hey, we need a drummer, or Hey, we need somebody to take pictures, or We need a guy to make a website, or a girl to make a website. Like, who is the first person that comes to mind? Yeah. You want it to be you. For sure. I think that's a big part of it. And you have a, a, a good sized YouTube following, but it's not gigantic. Mm-mm. And the thing to take away from that to me is it doesn't have to be gigantic because all you need is one break at the right time and it could change your life. Yeah, 100%. So, like, don't, you don't think, you know, you don't need to have a million views of your cover. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's cool, but yeah. really it doesn't matter if some kid in Slovenia is watching your video. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, But exactly. if you're trying to get a job as a professional, whether that's as a drummer or a photographer or whatever, like, really... If 50 people see your video, that's okay if it's the right 50 people. So yeah, like it's 100%. easy for people to get like lost in the numbers yeah. and and forget that that's really not the end game. Yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. And I mean, you know, like you were saying, 2009, I started doing drum covers. And I, I guess, you know, at that time, there wasn't a ton of people doing it. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I literally had no idea what I was doing. Uh, you know, I bought an interface and some drum mics and I like recorded on like my cell phone. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it was very like, sure, I think this is how you do it. But like Cobus and Chaser were the two drum channels that like, and most of those, you know, those guys were covering like Under Oath and mm-hmm. like, but at the time, I think the video that kind of, you know, you have that one video that kind of gets way more traction and brings more, you know, viewers to your channel or whatever. And it was it was me covering Skrillex. Uh-huh. And it literally was just me playing like 2009 metalcore fills over... Uh-huh you know dubstep but for whatever reason that one video like kind of how many me. how many videos did you put up before that one probably at least 20 okay and a lot of you know a lot of those videos have like no you know yeah under a thousand views so you strike out 17 times 100 percent. Yeah. but then you get on base of the 20th one and your life is different all of a sudden yeah and i think you're spot on with i never viewed my channel as like oh how many subscribers can i get how many views can i get it was it was literally i just viewed it as like oh, well, all I want is a really good gig. And if someone, you know, I'm from a small town, so if someone from, like, even Atlanta, which is 45 minutes away from Loganville or whatever, if they see this one video, it's it, I viewed it as, like, a business card, Exactly, yeah. yeah. And do you need to pass out a million business cards to get a job? I hope not. Yeah. Like, if you have to do that, then you probably suck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know? just needed the right person to see the right video or whatever exactly the right you just right place the right like just be top of mind 100 percent. and when someone goes shit we need a drummer hey let's call that guy josh that did the cover yeah maybe he'll do it that's essentially what happened and i I think what a really important like what because i teach drum lessons on the road and um towards the end of the lesson you know i do a bunch of like nerdy like technique stuff and Mm -hmm. like dive down whatever you know rabbit hole they want to go into as far as like technique stuff but at the end of the lesson i always just open it for like questions because i think a lot of people have just music industry questions and stuff. But like one of my biggest advice, uh, like tips for people is just like, just like say yes. Like even if you're terrified, like obviously don't join a million bands, but like, you know, just go for it. And if you fail, you fail and it's fine. Like I've told this story a few times, but like the, I think the thing I learned the most from was my first like big Nashville session that I completely botched, like completely bombed it. 
Um, and it's a, it was for a buddy of mine, uh, Mitch Parks, and he, it was a band called After Edmund. And we were, you know, they were just doing a Nashville session, whatever. And I, it was awful. Like they, you know, they laid bass, laid guitar, had the vocal idea. And they're like, all right, man, like get in there and, you know, just see, you, you know, you got some ideas flowing. <laughs> it was awful. It was so awful. Was it because you were like psyched out or something technical you didn't know how to do or? I think a, a, all of that probably. <laughs> <laughs> just weren't ready. Yeah. Um, I just, when I was young, man, I was like 18. And I, I didn't understand at that time that within that environment in that studio, like I just need to be able to crank out ideas, multiple ideas, because if they don't like one, I need to have options of like, you know, if we can do this, we can go this way, we can create this vibe. Because, you know, with drums, it's a lot about dynamics and a lot a lot of it's how it feels, you know, how it makes a song feel. That's overall. how I think of drums is like, it's like setting the vibe of the part. You play 100%. the same, you know, guitar and vocal part, you play it with like, 16th note double bass that's gonna feel one thing you play it in like half time on the china it's gonna feel completely different exactly and so like i think i just overall didn't do a good job of that and like weeks went by and, like i definitely knew that i didn't do well um but my buddy mitch called me and he's like hey man i love you but i just want to let you know we ended up going with another guy like you know you you bombed right like you, <laughs> you, and i was oh, like I yeah did. man i was like yeah dude i know it's, it's totally cool um you know and like me and him still talk today uh he he actually plays for pop artists now, uh, Lena Stella. I'm, I think yeah. I'm wrong. She was on that Chainsmokers tour. Oh, okay. Um, she's opening that, um, but he's he's awesome. And I mean, that was just something that I always point back to as far as like a huge, you know, technically, I think a lot of people would look at that as like a failure um, because I, <laughs> I definitely didn't succeed. Yeah. But I learned so much from that. And like now, you know, 10 years later, like I'm super comfortable in a studio environment because I learned the hard way of like what's expected of me. Right. And so, like, you know, then from from then on, that was the bar, and I figured out how to reach that and then become comfortable. And I'm sure anybody you can think of has a similar story about when they completely shit the bed. For sure. In some high-pressure situation, and it's fucking embarrassing. Oh, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, you got to do it once, and you might as well get it out of the way, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just if you're listening to this and you're worried about, like, messing up or not being good enough for some gig, or, just go for it. Literally just go for it. And if it doesn't work out, you're going to learn a lot and it's not the end of the world. Brush the dust off and get back to it. Yeah, 100%. So I'm curious, joining Issues when you did with that lineup, there are quite a few people on Issues at that time that are pretty good drummers. Yeah. What, <laughs> was that a thing at all? Or it was they they don't give a shit? Or? It was, man. And that's, that's something when I... I kind of was like, well, why me? Right. And I think at the time we had jammed and they're like... There's got to be more like good drummers per capita in 2013 issues than like any other band. Yeah, there there was. And, you know, Ty Ty's a great drummer. Um, Tyler is a good drummer. Uh-huh. Um, AJ plays drums. Yeah. Like, you know, Sky's literally the only member that actually doesn't physically play drums, which was, you know, it was, it was definitely like a big role to step into and I knew it would really push me and it has continuously pushed me for the past seven years um, which is exactly what I want so I'm, I'm really happy with that um, but they, they had I still think about this because they had options they had a lot of options and um, I know some of the guys that were up for the gig and for whatever reason either because of like the way we clicked personally or just some of the ideas maybe I brought to the table groove wise uh, I I was their first choice. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. 
Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. So I think this is another good takeaway is that as a creative professional, again, whether you're a drummer or photographer or graphic designer or whatever, like it, it's it's about more than just your work. Oh, for sure. It, it, a lot of it is about you as a person, whether you get along with people. Like I think one of the reasons why I get along with you guys so well as a band is because you guys are all... Um, really like mild mannered people. Maybe not Tyler as much, but like, <laughs> but like everybody. I mean, he not that he's like. No, you're you're. I that's mean, spot even, on. Even he is way. He's not really crazy or anything like that. You no. know. Um, you guys are all very like mild mannered, quiet, like chill people, uh, and all like very, very, very into music. Yeah, and for sure. that might sound obvious, but there's lots of bands that aren't really into music. That was probably the most shocking thing for me when I started touring more is realizing how many, and, and there's, you know, everyone does things for different reasons and there's like, I'm never gonna 
say my reasons are the right ones. But yeah, you're you're right. Like I think our band really loves music. Like we literally just sit on the bus, play video games, and listen to music. And you know, of course, we do other things at times. But yeah, man, like I'm thankful that there's a lot of people in big bands that never play their instrument other than when they're on stage. Yeah, 100%. they don't play it in the studio. They don't care. Yeah, like oh, I, the bassist. Yeah, I don't know. The guitarist will play my shit. I'm just gonna stay home. 100. percent And, and that there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but it's weird to me. Same. I I do. I agree. Um, and yeah, when I started touring, I was kind of shocked to see how many bands kind of have that vibe where there's like, you know, one or two guys that kind of write everything or do everything and the other guys are kind of just there to, to you know, play on stage and like, you know, do the rock star thing or whatever they think it is. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big thing is like, make sure, and that's another reason why I think it's so smart to do content, like whether it's YouTube or podcast or whatever like show who you are because that's sure. a big part of what's going to get you the gig is like if there's 10 people who are equally good at playing drums you're going to pick the person who you get along with best on a personal because you got to live together on this bus however many months out of the year yeah so that's a big part of it and it's the same if you want to be a like so we had a, a you know we hired a wedding photographer obviously mm-hmm. when we got married and we talked to a bunch of people and they were all pretty good and a big part of why we chose the woman we did is just because like uh, uh, she used to be like a personal trainer and I was like, okay, I like her because she's going to tell us what to do. Yeah. She's not going to wait around for us to tell her what to do because I don't know how you shoot a wedding. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you tell me. And she's just like, okay, stand here, stand here, do this. Now move over there, stand there. Yep. Like, Great. This is what I want. Exactly. Somebody else might hate that. Yeah. But that's what we wanted. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, same with the drummer. Like somebody, some bands are going to want somebody that contributes a lot musically. Other people are going to be like, I programmed your shit, just play it. Yeah, for sure. And none of those are right or wrong. It's just about what is the right fit for you. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that is something that whenever people are getting into just entertainment industry in general, that they don't realize like how much of just being like a good hang is it's literally half the job. Because you're right. There's there's a lot of people that it, it, you know it could be photography, it could be drumming, it could be guitar teching, it could be anything. Um, there's a lot of people that are good at what they do, but you know, again, like you said, you know, we're out here for six weeks. Everybody's living together on like a small little box with wheels, you know, like you have to get along. You have to be cool. You have to be nice. Um, and that's half the gig, literally. Like, yeah. That's because if you you can be the best at anything, but like if you're a dick, no one's going to want to be around you. There's lots and lots of people. Like if you look at, you know, you can think of people who are constantly going from band to band or maybe a band where there's one or two people in the band and they're constantly changing members there's a reason for that yeah oh yeah it's because there's something up with those humans you know literally yeah you don't want to be around them for whatever reason 100 percent. so let's talk about lessons because this is a thing i feel like it's a relatively recent thing that people started doing lessons on the road like nobody did that you know 15 years ago really I don't mm-hmm. even think they really did it 10 years ago. Yeah. Talk about that as like, you know, a source of income and like how, how you think about that. Okay. When I first started doing them, my intent was for them to genuinely be lessons, right? So I didn't want it to be some sort of like any in any way feel like a hang session or uh, like a VIP thing. Like that, I've, I've purposely steered it the opposite direction. Why is that? Uh, that's just not my vibe. Yeah, I, I that I I would do th- I would do that too. I don't paying for like a meet and greet feels super weird to me. It is, and we do that, and I we all talk about it. And I mean, kids want it though. 
You know, yeah. it, makes, it makes them it makes them happy. It is. It's it's still weird. That, I think that's why we do because we do the VIP meet and greet as a band, but we genuinely try very hard to make it genuine and and engaging. We do like an like on this tour, we're doing like an acoustic performance. Um, we do this cool like photo booth thing where we actually get to like hang for a second, say hi, you know, take some goofy photos, um, and then after that we do like a Smash Bros tournament. Um, and I think that's really cool because we genuinely get to just like hang out. Mm-hmm. I think we could probably talk forever about the the, yeah. the morals of the whole VIP thing is is it's odd. Um, but well, I, I mean, pr- it's the same as like signing an autograph feels weird, but somebody wants you to sign their drum head, and yeah, if it feels weird to you, if it makes them happy, then you know. For sure. I, I just knew with lessons, I wanted it to be like f- focused on like genuinely, you know, true like drum lessons. Like, hey, like the first thing I always ask someone whenever they take a lesson, hey, you know, how long you been playing? Um, you know, what kind of, what are your influences? You know, what are your goals? And then what do you suck at the most? Um, because obviously, you know, if you want to get great at something, you focus on your weak links, whatever. Um, and so I really try to just like dive into that with them. Um, and I keep it really open whenever I teach lessons, like, whatever they want to focus on. How many, are these, like, individual lessons or a group or? Usually it's, it's like, one or two okay. students. Um, I, I try not to, like, if there's a city that has, like, four or five people, then I will kind of cut it off. Um, because at some point it's kind of like. can't really teach drums to 12 people at once. Yeah, I mean, like, I did that clinic thing with SJC yeah. on that tour, um, and that was awesome. But obviously that's, like, okay, every night I know what I'm, teaching i'm not like it's you know the more people that it's there it's harder to dive into exactly what they want to improve on like i, I do jujitsu and they have these seminars where like some famous black will come through town and there'll be like 60 people there and it's the same thing they they sort of will show their signature thing like if yep. someone's really good at this particular armbar setup they'll show that and it's it's not they're not giving individual instruction it's just like i'm going to show you how to do this armbar setup yep. to 60 people yeah almost it's almost like a show yeah for sure and i mean that's why like um, I kind of adapted what I would do for lessons um, when I was teaching the clinics um, because, you know, again, it's kind of like, okay, here's a set curriculum. But with the lessons, it's just, honestly, man, I really enjoy it. Um, I think it personally makes me better, like, over time, you know. Um, I'm, I always, like, try to keep the mentality of I, I really genuinely believe I can learn something from every single person. Like, even when I'm touring... Uh, this tour is awesome because everyone on this tour is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of musicians on this. So this tour is Polyphia. Oh, yeah. Um, know, so obviously... Us, Polyphia, Lil Aaron, and Sleep Token. And so yeah. everyone is awesome, um, and they're great players, and they really care. Um, and so, you know, I always try to take that opportunity to, like, pick, you know, pick people's brains and, hey, you do this one thing way better than I do. What do you do? Or, you know, what are you doing there? Um, and, you know, usually... I'd say 98% of people are totally cool with that. Um, and then the two, other 2%, I'm just punishing. <laughs> but, but yeah, man, I, I think lessons, it's something I genuinely enjoy. It is a good uh, source of income. And also, I think I just get a lot out of it. And I, I really do try to send like my students home with like at least four or five things they can literally go home and start working on. So I think, you know, I like that because a lot of people do sort of treat it as a meet and greet and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that no not at all but for me personally that's what i would want to do too is like i'm going to try to actually teach you something that's going to be useful for sure just because i guess that's how my brain works yeah i think me too um and i like whenever because i do it all through email i keep it really simple um you know you just email me and here's my rate 
and I always ask, how long have you been playing? Because um, I try to gear the lessons towards intermediate players mm -hmm. and uh, more advanced players because realistically, like, I only have an hour, and I'm not opposed to teaching someone who's, like, more new to drums, but the amount I can teach you if you're, you know, okay, like, all right, let's, you know, count to four, right, put the right. snare on two, four, whatever, you know, um, I can teach much more at a quicker pace if, you know, they have... They don't need you to... Yeah, you know, there's yeah. a million YouTube videos, yeah. right? Um, so I think most of my students have been playing for typically, like, 10 or more years, um, which is awesome because then we're able to really so these are pretty in. good drummers. Yeah, man. Um, and that's, again, why I really, I really enjoy it. And, you know, I always try to preface the emails of, like, Whenever you come, you know, whenever you come in for the lesson, know what you want to work on. And we only have an hour, so I'm going to move fast. And like, it, it's awesome. It, it usually goes really well. And so you book those. You'll just like post on Instagram or something that mm -hmm. you're doing lessons. Email me at this address. Yeah, that's and it. Set it up. Yeah, and then um, I just don't. The hardest part about it is just like coordinating with like all the other stuff going on during the right. day. Um, but yeah, it's really. I try to just keep it simple. Cool. And so you do. Uh, so you're making you know, whatever, 50 or 100 bucks a day or something from that, mm -hmm. which is, you know, nobody's getting rich off that, but that adds up over the course of a tour. Yeah, for sure. I do, I have a couple of different, like, I don't want to call them side hustles, but other yeah. things I'm passionate about that I, that is a source of income. Um, like I teach, or I, I teach lessons, but I also do uh, like drum samples and I sell, you know, sample packs, which is a really good source of like passive income because literally all you do is, you know, I have a website that I, that hosts my files and people can download them. Yeah. So everybody wants to sell drum samples. Mm -hmm. And there's so many sample packs. What do you think makes yours successful in a way that, I mean, usually they sell like 10 the week that they come out and then like two a year after that. Yeah. Um, well, the way I view it is like I always, when I'm home, I make videos. And real realistically, that's just kind of to keep me sane. Mm -hmm. Like keep my chops up, keep me creative, keep me writing. But, you know, those videos kind of help sell the samples. Because I'm always like, um, you know, I'm like really I'm nerdy about like sound and engineering, so I'm always trying to get my drums to sound better when I'm home. And you know, if they like the sounds of the videos, basically you can just grab the sample pack. Um, so the, it's kind of like a whole. They kind of sell themselves essentially just because I'm doing that anyway. I'm gonna be doing that anyway. Um, so I use those videos to sell the samples, and it I think kind of continuously sells throughout the year as opposed to like the first week it comes mm -hmm. out and then no one kind of cares after that. Right. Whatever. I probably should have looked closer, but are these like contact libraries or just waves or how do, how do you package them? They're mostly just waves, but uh, we, we built like on this last pack, um, we built like a battery uh, template and um, I just did a bunch with a buddy of mine and I think we're going to try to do like the contact thing too. Um, contact sucks. Yeah, really. <laughs> building all the files really sucks. It sucks. Uh, but yeah, man, it's my whole thing with the with all the things that I'm involved in as far as like passive income or other forms of revenue is that I want to be genuine about it because I think people can like read that mm -hmm. um, like <laughs> if I ever make a clothing line like it's probably I don't know <laughs> something probably went wrong <laughs> okay. um, and not that there's anything against making a clothing line but it's but just for you yeah that like when, that's not what I'm passionate when about. Franz makes clothing it's authentic of course he, he's into that shit exactly he's exactly. stoked on it yep if he made a sample library that would be weird Probably, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, I guess but that's my I, point. You yeah. know, it's so I guess getting back to what you're saying earlier is like for all these things, it's like there usually isn't like a right or wrong answer. It's just mm -hmm. about like what is right for you as a human, as a player. It's like it, it, it all depends. And so I think people oftentimes try to just 
take someone else's career as a template yeah. and just copy and paste it into their life, but you're a different person. Exactly. And it probably won't work. Yeah. And I just, you know, I want to do, obviously, again, you want to have other sources of revenue, especially being in this world, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's something at the end of the day, I really, if I'm going to do it, I want to be passionate about it. And I don't want it to ever seem like a money grab. Um, so I just try to keep that in mind whenever I'm like thinking of different ideas. Because I think people see that. They do. And, and it's, it's a double-edged sword that your audience is very, like, they care about you, which is cool because it means they'll support your projects. But it also means that if you fuck up, they get mad. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, and, yeah. And they should. Yeah, yeah. You know? But that's kind of the double-edged sword of having people care about you is that, you know, it cuts both ways. Yeah, I agree. And, sure. and it's especially with, like, you know, offering a product, anything that costs money, there's a line. And if you step across that line, it is not going to be fun. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know. You're like, oh, fuck, I guess, yeah, in hindsight, I probably shouldn't have done that. But, yeah. you know, sometimes you accidentally step over that line. Yeah, I mean, I think that just goes back to the whole, like, failure thing. You know, you got to try stuff to right. realize if it works or not. So let's talk about uh, endorsements, sponsorships, that sort of thing. So... Uh, I know you work with SJC. Do you have, do you have other endorsements? or? Yeah, SJC, uh, Vic Firth, Zildjian, and Evans. Um, and we're also with uh, JH Audio, like in years. Gotcha. So how do you, I'm sure there's a story for each one of those, but broadly speaking, how does that sort of thing come together? Do they come to you? Do you meet up at NAM? Like, what is this? How, how, do you, how do you end up endorsing a product? SJC, I've been working with for like 11 years now. So... Me and those guys are really close, and we have a great relationship. Um, so just over the years, as, you know, I guess I progressed as a player and progressed as, like, you know, I joined Issues, and then Issues progressed as a band, whatever, you know, our deal kind of changed um, accordingly. But uh, what I always tell people is that it, at the end of the day, it really is just, like, it's just business. So, like, it's not just, hey, can you give me free stuff? Right. Like, you know, you have to, they're going to be giving you deals or free stuff or whatever uh, based off of what you can offer them as well. So, you know, it's a two-way street. Like, they're not just going to give you stuff if you are if you're, if you don't have an audience for, you know, them to promote their product. Um, and I think with Vic Firth, it was uh, Pablo from Chelsea Grin, mm -hmm. who's the best dude. Uh, one day I was just like, wait, you don't, have, you don't, like, you don't, you don't have anyone who gives you sticks? <laughs> um, and, I mean, they don't give me sticks, yeah. but... Uh, and so he just introduced me. And then from there... Zildjian was actually kind of hard. I had to go. There was a Vic Firth meetup. And Zildjian and, and Vic Firth are kind of the same thing. Okay. Essentially, as far as like, I think they're literally now the same company. But they had a meetup in Nashville. And I knew Zildjian reps would be there. And so I just went and, you know, face to face. So again, putting yourself out there. Yeah. And, and I, maybe, dude, maybe they would have told you to fuck off. Yeah. It was, and it was so, like, imagine a room in Nashville full of drummers. And no one know, really knows each other. It was the weirdest right, right. thing. Oh, sure. But yeah, man, I just, I really wanted Zildjian. And I wanted to, I think, you know, an email saying, hey, give me things only goes so far. Sure. Because um, how many of those do they get a day? Hundreds, I'm so sure. So there's 500 people that email them. Yeah. And even if, how many people were there at this meetup? 50 or something? Yeah, probably less. Probably like 30, yeah. Okay. So there's 500 people that emailed them. There's only 30 people that showed up. Yeah. And so right there you automatically like put yourself above almost everybody else i mean just by the act of showing up yeah like i think so much of this stuff is just about showing up i agree yeah put yourself in the same room as the people you want to work with yeah. it's not gonna work every time but 
pretty damn good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and even from that point on, I think I still had to kind of like chase a few people down to get the right rep. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it all stemmed from me just going and being awkward in a room with a bunch of other runners. <laughs> right. Um, and then, let's see, Evan's drum heads actually is pretty recent. I think heads are very difficult because one, it's, you know, everyone uses them. And also like, there's just a ton of really big names. Um, so like, I think it's just harder to get heads. Uh, but Evan's has been great. And I think I got that through another, like a mutual friend introduced me through an email. So networking. Yeah. And that goes back to being a good hang. Like Exactly. If people like you, they'll be more inclined to hook you up. If they don't like you, it doesn't matter how good you are. Yeah. Like, fuck that guy. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about your reputation as like, you know, as a person, is he, or are they a good hang? Uh, can they play or can they do their job well? Like, literally that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, time goes on and the industry goes on and no one stays where they are. Um, you know, people go up, they go down, they get bigger gigs, they get smaller gigs, whatever. Um, and some, you know, a way to really land like a big gig is just to have, you know, some friends that are already in that world and, oh yeah, we toured together like five years ago and right. we were doing 200 cap rooms, whatever. Um, you know, and just having them being able to vouch for you and just be like, oh yeah, he can play and he, you know, he's a good dude. Especially if you were there with them when you were both nobodies. Yeah, 100%. Then, then they know that you're not just trying to be friends because they've got a name. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, for sure. So I have two more questions. A big thing in any creative field is like, should I focus on having a broad skill set that will appeal to a lot of people? Or should I narrowly focus on one particular thing and style and just go deep in that? I think you are, and, and generally speaking, I my personal opinion is better to focus. Um, but I think you are a good counterexample of that. You can play pretty much anything, I think, in any style. I see that I fooled you. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, you. I, I know you're being humble, but really, like, if you look at your YouTube channel, you play a lot of shit in a lot of different styles. I try to, yeah. Uh, and again, that goes back to the YouTube thing being a business card, right? Um, my whole thought process with the, with the YouTube thing is like I want to show people that um, I can play multiple genres that I'm passionate about playing multiple genres um, that you know I can play pocket over this Ariana Grande song or I can put blast beats over a suicide boy song mm -hmm. because I'm an idiot well and that's kind of that's kind of the Nashville mindset to me I think I think so like, yeah if you got a session call me and I'll, I'll I'll get it done yeah, and again, you know, that goes back to me doing the studio stuff for like four or five years before issues. Um, it really challenged me, and like uh, Brian Meadows was a guy I was working with, and, and he's honestly a genius. Uh, and just being able to work with him for so long was really because that pushed me too. Um, but to your question, man, I don't know. I don't know if there's a right or wrong yeah. answer. I think my again, my mindset was kind of crafted by the people I was around, which is I think kind of more a Nashville like. It really is kind of the hired gun mindset. But I do try to, I still to this day am trying to learn more genres and I just want to be able to play, like say if I was playing for an artist and they, you know, a lot of these, some of these gigs are like on the fly, they'll call something out and you got to be able to do it. Um, and I, I want to make sure I can do it. Yeah. You know. Um, be kind of awkward to raise your hand and be like, uh, actually I, yeah, can't, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Like. Um, I know there's some dudes who 
like are really into like extreme drumming and playing really fast and precisely. Um, and, you know, they can do things that I will never be able to do at speeds. I will never be able to do it. Um, but you ask them to like just kind of vibe with a band and right. sit in the pocket and support a vocalist. Play a 311 song. Yeah. It's going to be, it's not going to feel the same. Yeah. But, it, but you know, that's even, okay though. Yeah. yeah. And to that, to that point, I mean, there's guys like Alex Rudinger that make a career out of that. 100%. You know? I, well, I mean, Alex is, but Alex can do both because he's, he's I, great. He is great. But even then, when you hear him play with like Good Tiger, and I, I think Alex is fucking amazing, but yeah. like, I would say he's not the best rock drummer in the world. You know? Like, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I think. I, lo- he, I thought his parts were really cool. I, I think he was not the right person that, for that band for the reason that he is a very like robotic drummer in a good way. Because when he's playing like death metal to me, it sounds fucking amazing and perfect. Yeah. Because he is. I heard some of his unedited drums once. Oh, I yeah. didn't know they were unedited, and I told my friend who recorded them. I was like, I don't know. They sound a little over edited to me. <laughs> like, dude, I didn't touch them. That's great. And that's Alex. You yeah. Know? And that's awesome for some styles. Maybe not so awesome in other styles. So anyway, I guess yeah. the point is. No, I I feel you for sure. The point is, you know, it's again about and but. You know, I don't think that's a conscious decision on that part, on his part. I think that's just who he is. Yeah. And it would be stupid for him to try to be something other than who he is. Yeah, I agree. Just the same as, like, it'd be stupid for you to try to be a death metal drummer because it's not your thing. It would go very badly (laughs) for me. Um, I mean, yeah, he's with, I think he's, I don't know if he's filling in or what the long-term situation is, but he's with Whitechapel. Um, And I saw them at Self-Help. And I was like, yeah, this is sick. Great drummer for Whitechapel. Exactly. And I mean, that's a good example of getting back to what we were talking about before. To me, he is top of mind for if you need a drummer that plays, if you need a metal drummer, he's one of the top like three people I would call. 100%. You know? Yeah. And that's because he's done it. He's, you know, puts himself out there on YouTube. Like he does Mm -hmm. all this stuff. Like he's done a great job of being top of the mind. And that is a tiny, tiny little niche. Yeah. But he's doing it. Yeah, of course. He has done a good job of narrowly focusing on that thing and being top of mind within that tiny niche. Yeah, I I agree. I don't think that, yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to go about it. I just think it all depends on your goals and like what you, where you want to end up. Because if it is, you know, again, if you're focused on becoming like, if you're focused on playing, you know, 16th notes at 300 BPM (laughs) and you're the best to do it, then yeah, you're going to get gigs. I'm still working on like eighth notes at 80 BPM. Maybe maybe one of these days. Um, last question I have is, so you talked about being from like a smaller suburb of Atlanta. I hear this a lot. People, you know, again, creative professionals in any kind of field, but uh, let's, let's say drummers. A lot of people wonder, like, should I move, you know, I'm from this town. Should I move to a big city? Should I move Ooh. to L.A. or New York? Again, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer to that, but my personal take on it is like, I think there's a lot to be said for like staying somewhere where, uh, cost of living is low, and I think mm-hmm. you can do a great job of building a following online that doesn't necessarily require you to like be in one of those super competitive, super expensive cities. On the other hand, there's a lot to be said for like you know being where the action is. What do you think? Uh, that's a very good question because I'm currently have been talking to my wife about that because we live four four hours from Nashville, and at this point. Like the majority of my friends are living in Nashville, but yeah, the cost of living is much higher. I think if I did live in Nashville as opposed to like suburban Atlanta, I would work more when I'm home, uh, which means you know you I would make more money. 
but at the same time, cost of living is really high. So, and, and it's a little bit different too because you already have a name. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like if you were 18 and nobody knew who you were, would it be a diff- Would you have a different opinion on it, or no? I still think I would say move to Nashville because you see, I, I don't, well, I, I don't think I'd ever move to LA. Yeah. I just um, there's plenty of people that I know from LA that grew up there that I love dearly, um, and there's a lot of people that I know that moved to LA that I don't love so dearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I think that's with every city, right? But Nashville is just a little more my vibe, I think. But at the same time, and I know a lot of people who, like friends of mine from high school, who straight out of high school just moved to Nashville and crushed it. Um, but I think if you do that thing where you, okay, I'm going to go to a big populated city where I know, you know, I can potentially get a gig, you have to like, you're there for Make that the reason. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, don't, don't mess around. Don't like, get a job at Office Max and party three days a week. And <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like if you're if you're moving to a city to do a thing, do that thing all the time until you know you can afford the move and basically to, you know to where it makes sense. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. I'm excited. And uh, I guess anything. This won't come out until after this tour is over, so you can't promote the tour. But anything else that people should check out? I'll be releasing new drum samples from the kit we use to record Beautiful Oblivion, uh, which I'm really excited. I did them with Johnny Reagan, uh, engineer from Atlanta, who's awesome. Um, so hopefully those will be out by the time this is out as well. Um, and if you came to the Beautiful Oblivion tour, then I hope you enjoyed it because it's honestly my favorite tour we've ever done. So uh, thank you for having me, man. I had a lot, a lot of fun. Cool. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.